The sermon that you are about to view is not a replacement of your participation and commitment to a local church, but we do hope it blesses you. My name is Cam Daly. I am the pastor of student ministries here at CA Church. And uh, I basically, I get to hang out with the grade six to 12s. Best job in the world. Love it. Love it so, so much. So if you're in high school, hey, just want to give you a special high. Middle school is probably downstairs, but maybe you're here too, which is great. Uh, and uh, just excited to share the word with you today. Before we get started, I do want to welcome those of you joining us online as well. We have this amazing thing called cachurch.info, which you can access on Safari or Google or whatever it is that you, web browser that you use, where you can get the sermon notes today uh, and kind of help you track with me as we're going through the life of David. Um, we've been in this series called Jesus Revealed. And the whole heart and thought behind this series is this, is that we believe from Genesis to Revelation that it reveals the story of Jesus. It reveals who he is. It reveals what he is doing. And every story uh, throughout, you know, the, the books of the law and the Psalms and the Proverbs and the prophets, all of these things are pointing towards Jesus. They were kind of looking in a, in a mirror that was clouded or fogged, but whether they realize it or not, God the Holy Spirit was speaking through them and pointing through them that, that Jesus is the one we need. Jesus is the greater prophet. Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they're pointing towards him. And that's true of our story today as we look at the life of David. Now, David was one of the greatest, you know, leaders probably in the history of Israel uh, and, and one of the best kings the world has ever known. Uh, but there's something really interesting about David is that when God looked at David, here's what he said. He saw, this is a man after my own heart. And it's interesting that even a few centuries later, as Paul is preaching this sermon uh, in Antioch, he, he actually still ascribes David with this title. And so if you are able or willing, would you stand with us as we read God's word, Acts chapter 13, as Paul kind of catches us up on where we've been and where we're going and how David points to Jesus. Let's read together. It says this, so Paul stood up. He lifted his hand to quiet them, and he started speaking. And he said, men of Israel, and you God-fearing Gentiles, those who were not Jews, but those who believed, says, listen to me, the God of this nation, Israel, chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took place, it took about 450 years. And after that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel and of the world. 
Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. It's the most important words that we're going to hear today. And there was something really interesting. As, as Paul was preaching this message a long, long time ago, he saw through the, how the entire story, the entire story of the Old Testament leading up to David pointed towards Jesus. And so we pray today as we look at the life of David, we would look at him, but we'd also see how he points to you. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak now, that you'd be speaking through these words, you would speak through his life, that we would learn, that we'd grow, and most of all, God, that you would change our hearts and make us to have a heart that is after yours. Uh, we pray these things in your name. Speak to us. Amen. All right. You may be seated. So this is interesting, isn't it? I think, uh, you know, Paul walk, walks through the whole history of Israel. He comes to David, and even centuries later, he ascribes this title to David, a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. And some of you think, really? David? A man after God's own heart. Ha! Right? Like, he, look at his life. Have you read 1st, 2nd Samuel? Like, the guy lived a wild life. He's, you know, he's, he's pillaging villages and going to war. He had that really awkward episode. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. David and Bathsheba. Later on in his life, he's taking a census. He gets prideful. He chooses to send uh, like a plague basically on the people rather than himself or his son, this David. A man after God's own heart, really? <laughs> and maybe some of you were wondering that. And I was wondering that. And so I started to, you know, look through the text, and, and I was also reading this book that Pastor David recommended to me called Leap Over a Wall. And it's by a guy named Eugene Peterson. He was also, he was a professor, a pastor here in Vancouver for a long time, and he taught at Regent just off UBC. And he wrote this book on the life of David, and he addresses, I think, maybe our concerns when we begin to hear that David is a man after God's own heart, really. The way he described David's life, I love it. He described it as this, earthy spirituality right? Can you say that with me? Earthy spirituality. And, uh, and, and in the earthiness of, of David's life, we see both him, him being like just a human being, but also godly. It's this, the dirt and the grime and the, the blisters and the blemishes, as well as these moments of genuinely pursuing God and chasing after God. We so, saw both the humanity of David, but also the godliness of David. And he described it as earthy spirituality. He unpacks a little bit further for us in his book. Here's what he says. The David story presents us not with a polished idea to which it aspires, but with a rough-edged actuality in which we see humanity formed. The God presence in the earth human conditions. The David story immerses us in a reality that embraces the entire range of humanness, stretching from the deep interiors of our soul to the farthest reaches of our imaginations. No other biblical story has this range to it, showing the many dimensions, the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of the human experience as a person comes alive before God, aware of God, and responsive to God. In the David story, we see this. We see David singing. He's writing the Psalms. And then we see him sinning. We see him, uh, you know, he's pillaging. And then he's praying. We see him, we see, we see these moments where he just totally messes up. And then he's repenting. We see this full humanness, these moments where he's doubting his call and his confidence. And these other moments where he steps out in incredible faith. Just incredible faith. 
In David's life, I think that many of us, we can see ourselves, this earthy spirituality, not someone who's got it all together, but someone who is longing maybe to pursue and be like God. This is what we see in David. And the Holy Spirit, in his wisdom, and for, you know, as he was inspiring the words of God in this book through human authors and their experience, he decides to write about David, you know this, more than any other person in the Bible. There's more written about David than there is even written about Jesus, like just talking about narrative, which is crazy if you think about it. And for whatever reason, he wanted us to fixate and think about and look at the whole of David's life. The Bible is um, descriptive, but it's not always prescriptive, meaning this. It describes fully in, every, in, in you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, someone's life and shows us how they, in the midst of that, stumbled their way towards God. And that's what we see in David, something that is real, something that's attainable. And maybe for you, maybe that's why you're here. You're going, maybe I could actually be someone like David. If David is a man after God's own heart, maybe I could be. Maybe I could, you know, pursue this Jesus thing. Maybe I, in the midst of my flaws, could, could learn to be faithful. And, and I, I think maybe, you know, you're here today and you're wondering that. And if you are, this is the perfect story. Because David reveals to us our need for Jesus. See, if David can be a man after God's own heart, here's what I'm wondering. Maybe so can you. Maybe so can you. Maybe we could actually be someone who is like God. How cool would that be? There's a word that um, I feel summarizes David's entire life or just the, the way that he was, the way that he lived. It's this word faithfulness. And um, one of the things I'd said a few weeks ago when I was preaching at Christmas about Mary and Joseph, one of the things that you see in the text is that they were available. God, I'm here. I want to hear from you. I want to, are you there? What, what can I do? And they were faithful. They were willing to do whatever it is that God was asking them to do. We see this in David and in his life, that he was someone who was available to God and he was faithful. I, he wasn't just going to be someone who heard stuff. And then went, okay, I'll think about it. But he was someone who, who hears God's word and he, he did it. He did it. He lived it out in his life. There's three ways actually that I feel that really highlight how David was someone who, who could have the title, this incredible title of a man after God's own heart. And, and it's summarized so well in the words of Micah. Micah says it this way in Micah 6 verse 5, I believe it is. He says, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To do what is right, that we would be people who would live out lives of justice, that we would do what is right. We would follow after God, and more than that, we would trust in God. Let's start with this first one, this, this idea, to do what is right. The way I've described it is trust. It's, it's really, it is trust. It's God, I'm going to hear from you, and I'm going I'm to do it. We see this all throughout David's life, that he was a nobody who trusted a somebody, right? He was a nobody who trusted a somebody. Maybe you haven't heard the story of David. Here's how it begins, is that there's this scene where Samuel, who's the prophet, he's been told by God that, uh, that Saul has been kicked out, that he, he's not someone who is willing to obey God and follow God's commands. And so he says, I found another, and he is actually someone who is after my heart. He's someone who's after my heart. Now, Samuel arrives on the scene to Jesse's house 
says, Jesse, bring out all your sons. God's told me to come here. Jesse lines up his sons. The first one, is he's tall, he's strong, he's good looking. Uh, and, and immediately Samuel's like, oh, this must be the guy. But God whispers to him. He says, no, I don't judge by appearance, by outward appearance, but I look at the heart. This isn't the one. He goes through each one of the brothers, six in total. He realizes none of these guys are the one. There must be, you must have another son, Jesse. You must have another son. And so Jesse says, well, yeah, I've got, I've got a son. He's out in the field right now with the, you know, the sheep, but he's the youngest son. Surely he's not the one. No, Samuel says, no, bring, go, go call for him. Bring him here. He sees David and he says, this is the one. This is the guy. He's the one who, who's a man after God's own heart. He anoints him with oil. He says that he's going to be king. He sees something in him and he calls it out of him. And the incredible thing is this, is that David, in his life, by all means, was really a nobody. To be a shepherd was not high on the list of vocations for people, all right? Like, it's like, when I grow up, I want to be a shepherd boy. Like, that was not, that was not what people desired, right? And, and, and even culturally would have been seen as a nobody. But Samuel looks at him, and God looks at him, and he says, no, this one right here, although the world says, ah, oh, he's a nobody, I see a somebody in him. And it was because of David's time in the, the fields. It was because of his nine to five, working with sheep and goats and, and tending for their cares, defending them and feeding them and leading them, that he actually saw God's faithfulness in the midst of the little things, that when we get to our epic, uh, the story of David and Goliath, he was able to trust fully in God. He was able to be a nobody who trusts in a somebody. Let me, let me unpack this for us. Uh, we see in this story of David and Goliath three things. David did not trust in himself. We just see this in the text. He, he, he wasn't someone who trusted himself. The second thing is this. We see that he doesn't trust in Saul's armor. I'm going to unpack that a little bit for us. And lastly, and the point is this, he trusted in God. You guys know the story of David and Goliath? I feel like it's like universal almost. But let me just highlight some things for us, right? Uh, in the story, it goes like this. Uh, his brothers, they're out to war. They're fighting in, in Saul's army. And uh, one day his father says, hey, uh, David, I, I need you to go out to your brothers. Bring them some, some roasted grains, some whole, whole uh, grain bread, right? He was ahead of his time. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's like, and, and some cheese, right? Uh, and I want you to bring it out to your brothers, all right? And, uh, and so he brings it out uh, to his brothers. His brothers are like, okay, thanks. Give that to me. Get out of here, you little stinker, right? He's kind of this classic younger brother, older brother kind of dynamic. And they're, David, what are you doing here? What are you still doing here? Get out of here, right? Uh, and he goes, wait, what's going on here? What had, hap had been happening is that every day, the armies of Israel would come out, the armies of the Philistines would come out, and every day they would send out their champion, a guy named Goliath, who the Bible describes as a giant. He was very tall, Zdenochara kind of stuff, right? And, um, and on skates, probably, yeah. And so, but um, he came out and he, he mocks the armies of Israel, he said he mocks them and he mocks their God. And David, who just happens to be delivering a packed lunch, hears what Goliath is doing. He's going, who, who does this guy think he is? Mocking our God, mocking, mocking our people. Someone needs to take this guy on. 
Has anybody like volunteered? No, no one's volunteered. He just comes out every day and mocks us, and we just kind of stand there. And uh, and he goes, man, somebody needs to go. Somebody needs to go and deal with this guy. And so he volunteers himself. His brother's like, get out of here. Saul's like, this is crazy, David. You're just a young kid. And, and here's what the text tells us. What, what ends up happening is it says that he continued to persist. David continued to persist. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. This isn't a good start, David, right? It's like, hi, <laughs> right? It's like, he's like, yeah, hey, like, I can do this. I take care of sheep. Sheep are some of the dumbest animals on planet Earth, right? It's like, this isn't really convincing, but he, he starts to unpack it a little bit. Here's what he says. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after him with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. All right? If an animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. Okay, now we're talking, David, right? Like, it's like pretty convincing. I've experienced this with a golden retriever, all right? And it's like, it's horrific. Like, sometimes we're just walking down the, the street and he'll see some, like, old chicken bones. He's like, ah, and he grabs it. And I'm, like, opening his mouth, trying to retrieve the chicken bones. I'm like, okay, I, I'm feeling you, David. All right. I know it's like, it's a big deal. He says, I've done this with both lions and bears, and I'll do it with this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me, see where his trust is, it's not in myself. He says, I've done it before, but it's the Lord who actually rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, and he will rescue me from this Philistine. So Saul finally consented. He said, all right, man, <laughs> go ahead. You're in, right? Tap on the shoulder. You guys remember the World Juniors a couple weeks ago? And there was, there was a kid there who had, he hadn't played. I think Ryan was preaching about this at Ethos. But he had barely played. Fourth line kid. Taps him on the shoulder. He goes out and he scores the tying goal. This is one of those moments, right? Uh, and, uh, and so David goes out. He's like, all right, go ahead. Lord be with you, right? He steps out to fight this giant. But before he gets there, there's this really interesting scene. You might have missed it. Because it, in this text, we see how clearly he trusts in God. But we also see something interesting. He doesn't trust in Saul's armor. Here's what I mean by this. And let's just jump straight to 1 Samuel 17. Then Saul gave David his own armor. So Saul is the king. This is the best of the best, the best equipment, the best stuff that you could come across. His own helmet, it says. And he also gave him a coat of mail. All right? It's not talking about letters, right? It's like, uh, this, is, this is like, this is the best stuff. And it says, and he took, you know, a step or two. He strapped the sword over his shoulder, and he realized, he's like, I've never worn such things before. This isn't, this isn't how I'm, I'm used to living. He said, I can't go in these. He protests us all. I'm not used to them. So he takes off the stuff, and believe it or not, he took it off. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put it in his shepherd's bag, and then armed with only his shepherd's staff, a sling, he started across the valley to fight this Philistine. Here's what I want to highlight here. He didn't trust in man's invention. He didn't trust in, in, in what man sees as strength, what people see as, as what will win a victory. He didn't, he didn't trust on anything outside of himself. David was someone who trusted in God. Do we want to be someone who, who has a, someone who's a, a person after God's own heart? We are to be people who don't lean on our own understanding, who don't lean on our own strengths. In fact, what we see David did is David actually looked to the past so that he could have faith to walk into the future. He says, hey, listen, God was with me in the little things. God was with me when I was just with the sheep. 
tending to their cares, when lions and bears came, God showed up. God showed up for me in the nine to five, and I know that he's going to show up uh, for me when I face this giant. He looked at the faithfulness of God in his past so that he could walk in trust and faith in his future. We see that David, David trusted God. He trusted God. And this is one of these things that just stands out to him about us. It's just his continual faithfulness to not just trust God, but to live it out. If we want to be people who have God's heart, that's the type of people we need to be. People who trust God and, and walk it out in our everyday lives. And it's going to be hard. Not many of you are going to face giants, <laughs> right? But there's hurdles in front of you. There's challenges. And there's going to be moments in your life where you can demonstrate and show trust to your wife or your husband, to your kids, uh, to your coworkers. We have opportunities in our 9 to 5 to just see God faithfulness so that when we do face the mountains and when we face those, those really difficult moments, we, we can walk in faith, trusting him in our every day. You see, we see this in David. Here's the second thing. We see that David was not just a person of trust, but he was also a person of mercy. When he had become a somebody, he acts mercifully. Sometimes when we, we become somebodies, when we get noted, noticed or, or, or people are looking to us, we can continue to just maybe use our power or, or just run over people. But we see this in David's life. This wasn't true. Even though the people were singing about him. Saul kills thousands, but David kills tens of thousands. People knew his reputation. They'd seen what he had done. Even when he was known, even when he was a somebody, he was a somebody that act, acted mercifully to those around him. I want to remind us what mercy is. Here's what mercy is. It's showing compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it's within one's power to punish or harm. We see this in David's life a couple of times. One of the the examples is this. It's a pretty funny story. Uh, He shows mercy to Saul in the cave. Mercy to Saul in the cave. And so one day, basically the story goes like this, is that David, uh, you know, he was serving in, in Saul's courts. One day, Saul was really feeling anxious about his leadership, anxious about his place. He was getting concerned that David was going to take his place. Uh, he, he throws a spear at him in the middle of like one of his greatest hits, right? I don't know, Psalm 22 or something like that. Uh, and, uh, and so anyways, but he said, he's like, oh, David kills tens of thousands and he's a good singer, my gosh, right? And so anyways, he's a, he throws a spear across the room, almost takes out David. And from that point going on, there was a huge feud, family feud, Irish blood feud between Saul and, uh, and David. And for years, Saul is pursuing him throughout the Judean wilderness and, and David's running and he, did, you know, and David and Saul's trying to kill him. And in one of these stories, uh, David and his guys, they're, they're hiding in the back of this cave, okay? They're hiding in the back of this cave. And lo and behold, you won't believe it. <laughs> Saul walks into the cave, the Bible says, to relieve himself, right? We all know what that means, right? So he's going, he's taking a leak, uh, or as one translation says, he pisseth against the wall. And <laughs> it's true. Uh, and uh, and, <laughs> and um, <laughs> David is standing there, with all his guys. And one of the guys starts whispering scripture to him. Oh, David, the Lord has delivered him into your hands. Kill him now, right? And David's thinking about it, right? He's like, oh, man. So he, he, he walks up to David. It's a little weird. They're all just kind of watching him. 
if you think about it. But he walks up to Saul and just cuts off the, the edge of his robe just to prove, I could have taken you out, but I didn't, right? They all go back into hiding. Saul leaves, flush, right? Walks out of the cave, <laughs> walks out of the cave. And uh, when he's a, a, a little bit of a distance away, David comes out, Saul, Saul, hey, it's me, David, look. And I always, I, Saul's reaction just, it kind of makes me laugh. David, is that you, my son? Right? Like he's like, and so anyways, David calls out, look, Saul, I could have taken you out. I could have taken your life, but I have shown mercy to you this day. Right? I've shown mercy to you when I could have killed you, when I, it was within my power to harm you. I chose not to. I chose not to. And Saul says, oh, David, I'm so sorry, right? I, man, I, you know, I've just been reading the wrong tweets and the wrong newspapers. I thought that you were against me and not for me. And he kind of repents and apologizes. And then just weeks later, the same thing happens, right? He's pursuing David. He's hunting him down. And David eventually, uh, he ends up coming into the camp and taking Saul's spear and his water bottle just to prove to him once again that he could have taken his life and he didn't. But in, all throughout the, the kind of narrative of us seeing David relate with Saul, we see that he does have mercy on him. He says, I will, I'm not going to be the one who kills the Lord's anointed. He has respect for Saul and for the position that he holds. But one of the stories that, um, that actually really shows his mercy, I want to camp on for just a little bit here. It's uh, David and this guy named Mephizo, Mephi, Mephibosheth. <laughs> This is a real mouthful for me. I have a little bit of a lisp, and that name is especially hard. You know, uh, and it was, it was funny. I was, I, I was mentioning in earlier services, because Jessica and I were expecting, actually. She's 20 weeks. It's it good, right? We're so excited. I was like, whatever we do, we cannot name our kid Mephibosheth, all right? Because I, 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 that's going to be really difficult. Plus, his, like, his nickname would be like Meph, which is like a little bit weird. Uh, but there's another great name that actually shows up in this, this narrative, in this story, and it's a guy named Ziba, okay? A guy named Ziba, which is also a good name. We're going to put it on the list, right? Um, but so David, this is later on in his career, in his life. It's found in 2 Samuel. Saul has since died. So has Jonathan. And David one day is sitting there, and he thinks to himself, I wonder if there's anyone left. I wonder if there's anyone left in Saul's family tree that I could bless, that I could show kindness to, that I could be merciful towards. So he calls to his servants. He says, hey, I, it, I'm just wondering, is there anyone left in Saul's family that I can, I can show kindness to? And the guy's like, yes, my Lord, I'll go find out, right? And so and, I don't know why he has that accent, uh, but is it, <laughs> right? And, um, and so he goes, he finds this guy named Ziba. He brings Ziba. Ziba was one of Saul's servants. And so he says, Ziba, I'm just wondering, is there anyone left in Saul's family that I can show kindness to? Ziba says, uh, he says, yeah, well, actually, there is a grandson. There's a grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, that, that is still alive, but he's crippled. Well, he said, oh, well, bring him to me right away. And so he, he brings Mephibosheth <laughs> to David. And they have this really beautiful interaction. It's just this incredible picture of love and grace and mercy and kindness. You know, he was feeling really nervous as he arrived on the scene. Because in that day, in that time, if you were named king, there was one thing you were certain to do. You were to kill all the descendants 
of the previous king to make sure that there would be no coup that would rise up against you for the kingship. But this wasn't true for David. He shows up and he has this really beautiful conversation with Mephibosheth. (laughs) He says this, don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise I made with your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. And look how he responds. He bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you have showed me such kindness to a dead dog like me? We see in this story that his confidence has been just shook. His his dad, his grandfather, they've passed away. He's crippled. He's hurt. No one has called on him. No one has cared for him. He lost everything when his father died. And David, in this moment of mercy at the table, has incredible, incredible mercy for this man. He says, not only, not only will I give you all that belong to Saul and Jonathan, but all the days of your life, you will have a seat at my table, eating the best food. You will have a place to belong. You will have family. You will be included. You will not be forgotten about. I see you, and I have mercy on you. It's beautiful. Just a beautiful story of God's grace and mercy through this king named David. David lived a life at times, a life of mercy. Mercy towards those who were struggling, those who he could have harmed or punished. He chose to show compassion and forgiveness. And we see this in the story of Mephizosheth at the table. At the table. See, David, time and time again, just had lived a life of mercy. And do you know what mercy requires of us? Mercy requires humility. And that's the third thing that we see in David, is that David was a human being who realized his eternal need. He realized that in himself, as a king, he couldn't, he couldn't do it. He needed God. He needed God's grace. He needed God's forgiveness. We see it in his interactions with his, um, his interactions with Saul, just one of humility. No, you're the king. I submit to your leadership. Even though you're a bad king, even though you're not the anointed king, I will, I, I'll, I'll still submit to you while you are in place until God tells me otherwise. He just showed this continual humility, but especially here's where we see his humility. It's probably in the lowest moment of David's entire life, the absolute lowest moment of David's entire life. You probably know the one. But if you don't, it was an interaction that he had with this woman named Bathsheba. The story tells us this in the narrative, that it says, in the springtime, you guys are looking forward to spring, right? I cannot wait for this rain to just go away for it to warm up. And in that day and in that time, in the springtime, that's when kings would go to war with their warriors. But it says, in the springtime, David was where? Not at war, in his palace. You see, whenever we actually um, aren't where we're supposed to be, that's when we kind of get in trouble, don't we, right? When we get lazy, when we just kind of, oh, you know, whatever, just send the guys out. I'm just going to stay home. Uh, and, uh, and David gets in trouble. He starts to look out over his kingdom and over his people, and he happens to see a woman on top of uh, her rooftop having a bath, all right? Her name was Bathsheba, kind of ironically. And, um, but... Uh, <laughs> The sad, the sad part about this story is this, is that David in this moment abuses and misuses his power. 
He t- gets some of his servants and some of the people who are serving him. He said, hey, go and find out who that is and bring her to me. He ends up sleeping with her, impregnating her. And when he should have repented and turned back and made things right, what he tries to do is cover it up. This is uh, kind of a similar narrative than what we hear sometimes, hey? And he, calls, he actually calls Uriah to his courts and sends him out to the, the front of the battlefield hoping that he'll be killed. He abuses his power again to make sure of it, that he was sent out first and that, that when he would run out to fight the enemy, the rest of them would hold back. Uriah ends up dying and it's this really horrible story. And so God sends a prophet to David to rebuke him for what he's done. David Con- or Nathan comes, he begins to tell him this parable. A parable is just another way of saying a story. And he says, hey, uh, David, I want, to tell you, I want to tell you a story. There was once this man, and he gave everything that he had to purchase one little lamb. He took this little lamb, and he brought him into his home. He treated him like family. He allowed the lamb to eat from his table. All right? I won't even let my dog do that, right? And it's like, as he, he said, he treated this lamb like family and loved him and spent time with him. But then one day, someone came along, a, a powerful person who had many lamb, lambs, who had, had so, a huge flock. And he said, I want this little lamb to be mine. And so he went and he took this lamb for himself and he killed the master and, and, and he, he kept this lamb as his own. And David is outraged when he hears this story. He's like, who, who could do that? That is absolutely atrocious, right? And he's, he's going, anyone who does that, they need to repay it four times. And you know what? They should die. That's what he says. You ever had this moment in your life where you're like super outraged about something? Like, oh, I can't believe someone would do that. And then someone who isn't impressed with you but loves you says, hey, and that's you, Right? And that's what happens in this story. We actually see this in the story is that is what ends up happening is that Nathan says, David, the story that I'm telling, that's a story about you. And David's response in this moment, I think it gives us the greatest window as to why God, when he looked at him, said, this is a man after my own heart. Because rather than covering it up, rather than saying, I'm the king, I'm the CEO, I'm powerful, I can do what I want. They made it up, it isn't true, you've misheard. In this moment, he shows incredible humility. Just incredible humility. He says, I am wrong. I've sinned against God, I've sinned against this woman and her husband. Your judgment on me is just. And he begins to, he actually, because of this event, he writes this famous psalm this song in in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight, and you'll be proved to be right. In what you say, your judgment against me is just. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. God, I'm sorry. God, I've sinned. See, in Matthew, it tells us something that's really interesting about humility. 
It says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And I want you to know that. Some of you have been desperately hurt by people in these kind of situations. But those who exalt themselves say that I'm honorable, I've done nothing wrong, all these things, they will be humbled. They will be. And so will you and I. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we see this in David's life. And this is why I think the Holy Spirit wants us to highlight this story. Because in David, we don't see a picture of perfection, but we see a person who is imperfect pursuing God. (laughs) Singing and sinning. Praying and repenting. We see humility, we see mercy, we see trust. This is why David was a man after God's own heart. But I think for you and I, that story leaves us unsatisfied. Because for us, okay, I want to be like David. I'm going to trust more. Ah, I'm going to try harder. Okay, I'm going to be more merciful. All right, I'm going to try and be more humble. And what sometimes these Old Testament narratives, when we say David's a hero, be like him, be like David, what it will leave us is a a feeling in our heart and our gut, oh man, I'm not good enough, I can't make it, I can't do that. I'm not as merciful, I'm not as humble. I, I, I struggle with distrust all the time. What am I to do? I can't be like David. And if I can't be like David, maybe I'm not someone who is after God's heart. And if I'm not someone who's after God's heart, then who am I? Am I good? Am I secure? God, do you care for me? Do you love me? Will I be welcomed? If I die, where am I going? But in the story of David, and, and, and Paul recognized this in his sermon. He said this whole lineage, this whole story of the Old Testament is pointing towards someone else. Not to the characters in the story, but someone who was to come. You see, in David, in David we see Jesus, our need for Jesus Christ. That even the best kings and the best leaders will fail us. In David, we see a story about a nobody who trusts a somebody. Does that remind you of someone else? Jesus, by all accounts, born in the little town of Bethlehem, he was a nobody, but he trusted greatly in a somebody, his father. In, in, in David, we see someone who gave mercy. And in Jesus Christ, we see someone who was merciful to all people of all nations, of all backgrounds. He didn't just... He didn't just invite one of us to the table, but he invited all of us to the table. When we were, when we were broken, when we were, were harmed, when we maybe, uh, by all accounts, deserved death, Jesus came to us and he showed us great mercy. He showed us great kindness. He invited us to the table, not for a time, not for our life, but for eternity. In the David story, we see that, that even, even the best of us mess up. But in Jesus Christ, we see when he was tasked with great temptations, that he passed the test of the enemy. Showed us that we have in Jesus someone who we can lean on. Someone who we can look to. You see, Jesus is a better leader. Jesus is a better king. Jesus is, is better than David. And so the David story leaves us longing. And that longing is supposed to lead us to the person of Jesus Christ. This is what we see in the story, our great need for Jesus. And David realized this. David realized, God, 
I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. God, would you create in me a clean heart, oh God? Restore in me a right spirit. It can't be found in myself. It can't be found in man's invention. No matter the highlights of my life, in the midst of my lowlights, I desperately, desperately need you. He was a human being who recognized his eternal need. And I wonder if some of you guys maybe are, are people like that. I know I'm someone like that. <laughs> someone who, who realizes at the end of the day, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Or as Jesus said, out of the heart comes evil thoughts and a long list of sins. I don't need a heart like David. I need a heart of God. I don't, need a, I don't want to be a person who is, who is a, a man after God's own heart, but I want to have a heart that is after God's. And this is only possible through the cross. This is only possible through Jesus Christ. And that is why today we come to the table. Because it is only in Jesus it is only in Jesus that we can be renewed, that we can be restored, that he can take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, that we would not be people who are after God's heart, but have a heart that is truly empowered and possible to pursue God. And so I'm going to invite the communion service forward. And as we come to the table here today, we don't come to the table uh, thinking, oh, I can do it. I can make it. As we come to the table and we take this bread, which represents Jesus' body that was broken for us, and we drink from the cup that represents Jesus' blood that was uh, shed for us, we remember and we recognize that we so desperately need Jesus to have a heart that is after God's. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll come to the table. Lord, thank you for David. What an incredible story. This is an epic. And yet, we hear the story of David and we just find ourselves, maybe some of us, if the message today was this, be like David, we think to ourselves, man, I don't know if I can be like David. I don't trust enough. I'm not merciful enough. I'm not humble enough. I failed you time and time again. But this story leads us to a moment right now, this communion moment, where as we come to the table, for those of us who believe, and we take the bread and we take the juice, we recognize our deep, deep need for Jesus Christ. Jesus, we need you. And without you, we could never be like you. And so, Lord, we utter the words of the psalm and the prayers of David. As we come to the table, Jesus Christ, would you create in us a clean heart, O oh God? Would you renew a right spirit within us? We so desperately need you, and we love you, and we're grateful for you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.